Welcome to the Holistic Performance Podcast, where we speak with guest experts and HPI faculty about hot nutrition, health, and performance topics. Hi team, welcome back to the Holistic Performance Institute Q&A Podcast. In this episode, we're looking at saturated fat, good, bad, or just plain ugly. And this comes as a result of some of the posts that I've put out about saturated fat, looking at the evidence, and really my conclusion being that although I don't believe that saturated fat is entirely innocuous, no dietary component is, in the context of a generally healthy diet, I don't believe that saturated fat is a nutrient of concern for most people most of the time. Now, that's obviously confounded by what the diet actually is and what their lifestyle is. And yes, it can be a potential factor if the diet isn't otherwise healthy. Uh, But when I made some posts about that, there was inevitable blowback and some discussion. And that discussion was really good. I had people who I respect, like Alan Flanagan and Danny Lennon, uh, you know, people that I know well through the industry, who made some really good points about various aspects of saturated fat and why the research may not always tell us the whole story. And these were things that I had tried to include within my posts and my articles on saturated fat. But I thought, well, there's a real opportunity here to get some people that I really respect, people who are extremely knowledgeable about the trials, about epidemiology, and about saturated fat in particular, to give their perspective on this. So for this episode, I spoke with Simon Thornley, a senior lecturer and epidemiologist at Auckland University, and George Henderson, who's a citizen scientist, published author, and research fellow at Auckland University of Technology. So first up, I wanted to ask both Simon and George, overall, what does the evidence tell us about the effects of saturated fat on health? These of trials so show unconvincing evidence that limiting saturated fat compared to usual care improves uh, mortality, cardiovascular death, or reduces CVD events. The evidence on the question of saturated, the effects of saturated fat on health that I am most familiar with is of two sorts: it's epidemiological and mechanistic or and experimental i suppose it's one of these tells us you know what effect it might have on populations over long periods of time and the other really tells us what it does in the short term you know what we can definitely know that it does under really controlled conditions of these two the first epidemiological and, and, you know, some of the intervention studies that are longer term, which are similar to epidemiological studies, they really don't tell us much. Like, there are differences, but they go both ways. One study, you know, it's good for people. One study is bad for people, but only mildly. And it can be explained by other factors in these studies. And it's simply not of a statistical significance. I mean, Simon knows more about this than me. But um, it's it's never of a statistical significance or consistency that makes you think there's really something there. That is to say, if we were talking about a drug, we'd think it didn't do much, you know. Um, but, you know, you, you you eat fat under different circumstances with all sorts of different other things. You might eat it with alcohol, you might eat it with sugar or whatever. So there's all these things that, from the mechanistic evidence, do alter the way it could affect you it could affect you let me say and um 
I'd rather go with the mechanistic evidence and say, well, you know, if I'm going to eat this in this context, here's here's what it, it can do. And the evidence on the mechanistic evidence tells us that probably the eating saturated fat of the longer chain type, that is to say, palmitic and stearic acid, say butter or palm oil, um, probably not a great idea if you have a really high sugar diet or even a really high carbohydrate diet, um, you know, like a lot of butter on white bread possibly could increase inflammation and and have you know some effects that might be detrimental but then if you also if you look at specific saturated fats in mechanistically there are um, experiments that show that they can have beneficial effects and so somehow you have to sort out like how to put can you include it in your diet in such a way that it has beneficial effects and I think yes you can um, and some of these beneficial effects are quite important. You just have to like lay off the sugar and the white bread perhaps to get them. That may be, you know, the, the kind of summary endpoint of this. So Simon succinctly says that, you know, there is no real convincing evidence in his opinion that limiting saturated fat improves mortality, cardiovascular death, or reduces cardiovascular disease events. George throws in some interesting elements there around the context of the diet and what else it includes, you know, suggesting that perhaps it's the combination of higher carbohydrate diets, high sugar diets, perhaps those ultra-refined, hyperpalatable diets with saturated fat are really the issue. And I think that's something that probably needs to be explored a little bit more. One other area that I think needs to be explored more and really discussed and expanded upon is that most systematic reviews and meta-analyses suggest no effect of saturated fat on all-cause mortality. However, it's often argued that this is because of correction for lipids, especially LDL cholesterol, which is considered to be an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease and perhaps all-cause mortality. And so I, I wanted to ask both Simon and George what their opinion on this is. Well, this is a good one because there are, in fact, studies where there's no adjustment being made for lipids. And these are some of the, the best quality studies, too. So there's one one that's particularly good quality is the Malmo Diet and Cancer Study, where they, um, they did not adjust the outcome for lipids whatsoever. And they used a um, the seven-day food diet, but they also used interviews to verify it. So this takes it up to a higher tier of evidence. And in this study... Um, saturated fat had no detrimental association with any cause of death and not only that but total fat which included saturated fat was actually associated with lower heart disease in men so um, you can definitely find you know if you only looked at studies where that adjustment for lipids wasn't done the correction for lipids wasn't carried out you probably this probably would not support the thesis that this is you know um, blunting the evidence in the studies. This is against uh, the usual interpretation of trials where uh, we analyze trials using an intention to treat method, uh, considering them in the groups they were analyzed. It's not necessary to adjust for any uh, mediating variables like LDL. That's nonsense from my point of view. Thanks, guys. Another area of discussion is the substitution analyses. 
These suggest a beneficial effect from replacing saturated fat in the diet with polyunsaturated fat, but not monounsaturated fats or carbohydrate. It's often discussed that this is due to not differentiating between whole, unrefined carbohydrate sources and refined carbs and sugars. What's your take on this? When someone is eating more polyunsaturated fat in their diet, especially as reported in a food diary, what are they really eating? Are they eating um, chicken, nuts, peanut butter, and so forth, all of which we could think are going to be reasonably healthy foods for other reasons than their polyunsaturated content? Um, or are they eating oil? And oil might not be measured very well. Like, How do you know what what your food's cooked in, you know, if you a lot of people eat out, a lot of people eat fast food, they don't really know what it's cooked and they're not going to be able to measure that with any accuracy. So this is one of the things that this may just be an effect of more kind of more whole food in the diet, you know, might tend to show up as more polyunsaturated in the diet and people eating more processed foods. In the old days, especially when um, processed foods did tend to be made with saturated fat because it was more stable. Um, that, you know, this may be what you're looking at in, in these kind of studies. I'm not really sure about them because you could do a substitution analysis for all sorts of factors in the diet. So you could do a substitution analysis <coughs> that took into account the interactions between any of the components of the diet. And this isn't really happening. It's just been decided to look at two things. And, you know, why is this? And I'm going to come to this a bit later in the mechanistics stuff because if we actually looked at instead of substituting one thing for another which isn't really happening um if we looked at combining things what is the effect of combining one thing and another in the diet why don't we have those studies thanks george that's a really good point and i'll be looking into some of our data from previous studies to see if we can shed a bit more light on some of these nutrient interactions and the role that saturated fat in conjunction with some of these other nutrients can actually affect outcomes in intervention trials. Now, Simon has a, a more succinct and blunt answer to this question. I'm afraid I haven't seen any convincing evidence that replacing saturated fat with any other fat uh, improves outcomes, and particularly those related to cardiovascular disease. So given that a criticism of saturated fat is that substitution analysis doesn't adequately differentiate between better and worse carbohydrate choices, doesn't this also apply to the labeling of all saturated fats as bad, especially as substitution of high polyunsaturated fat oils for MCT typically results in better lipid outcomes and there's no association between high saturated fatty acid containing foods like full fat dairy and negative health outcomes? Well, here's where the mechanistic studies are useful. But if we get to the um, if we get to if we look first at studies into individual saturated fats, what we find is that the longer chain the saturated fat, the more likely it is to be associated with the bad outcome. And the shorter chain saturated fats, which are the ones in MCT, the ones in coconut oil, and a decent amount of them in butter, these are the ones that are either not associated with harm, associated with benefit, or maybe associated with less harm. Like there's clearly a gradient where a shorter chain saturated fat has, is associated with a better outcome, but not a better lipid outcome, because these fats like lauric acid and maristic acid are actually ones that can boost cholesterol the most in the feeding studies where they test this thing. And that's another question, whether that reflects reality much. But um. There's a really interesting study that was done a while ago, not that long ago, 
where they fed people, overfed people. Like they deliberately fed them a high saturated fat diet and they fed them two types of saturated fat. So one group got kind of palm oil and chocolate, like high long chain palmitic acid, stearic acid type saturated fats. And the other group had really as much saturated fat, almost as much of those fats, but they had coconut and dairy and palm kernel oil, which all have some uh, medium chain fatty acids. And what they find is, found is that the people fed overfed, and this is, we're talking about significant overfeeding, like half as many calories again <coughs> over a few days. <coughs> the people who were overfed, the long chain saturated fats without the medium chain fats um, went into a state of insulin resistance, as you might expect. But the people who were fed the fats with more of the medium chain fats, and not a huge amount, we're talking about something like 5% of total calories or something, but the people who were fed small amounts of medium chain fatty acids had no increase in insulin resistance. And this is reflected in animal studies too, where you can feed animals huge amounts of coconut oil and they don't gain weight. But if you, and you, you can feed them you know, a bit more butter than usual and they don't gain weight. But if you feed them corn oil at the same amount, they gain weight. So, um, you know, there is this effect of, of the medium chain fats. And there's also benefits from um, other fats that are in animal foods, such that the odd chain fatty acids also have similar effects in that they tend to protect against kind of the met metabolic ex excess. So if you like food too much, you might want to make some of that food coconut oil and some of that food butter even or cream. I think there's some uh, biological reasons to think that some uh, saturated fats may be better than others. Some uh, seem to be better at um, inducing ketosis, for example. Um, however, in terms of long-term studies or trials, I haven't seen a lot of uh, convincing evidence. Interesting. So what do you make of migration or public health intervention studies that show either an increase in mortality with increased saturated fat intake and lipids like LDL, or decrease mortality with reduced saturated fat intakes and lipid levels, as was seen in the 35-year trends in cardiovascular risk factors in Finland study? I actually have quite a strong opinion about this one, because the um, study in Finland did a lot of things. Like it cut down sugar, it cut down white bread, it just gave people a more nutritious diet and meant more omega-3 fatty acids. It really improved nutrition across the board at the same time as it cut back on butter and other saturated fats, which would have included trans fats in those days too, but let's forget about that. Now, the doctors, this impressed, you know, through the work of Ansel Keys, this got drawn to the world's attention, it impressed the World Health Authorities. And in the, um, back in the 80s, I think, the um, government of um, Mauritius, a little island in the Indian Ocean, decided to put a tax on palm oil, or no, sorry, change the makeup of palm oil, because they had supplied the population with this really cheap cooking oil that had been made from palm oil. And, and you know, palm oil, like, as I've said before, it's not one of the greatest saturated fats, but wait until you hear what happened, because they decided, well, let's replace this oil, which, you know, all the poor people have to eat, and which is the easiest food to eat. Let's replace it with, it was heavily subsidized, let's replace it with soybean oil. So they replaced it with soybean oil. And what happened? Heart attacks did not go down. Mortality did not go down. What went up is diabetes. 
and they have a huge diabetes problem now. They're second in the world for diabetes mortality. I spoke to someone from Mauritius a while back, and he said, you see people walking around with you know, white face, white, 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 white hands and feet. They're going to lose those. They're going to lose their extremities. It's, it's um, you, you know, that's what a diabetes epidemic looks like. And no one's followed up on Mauritius. Like, no one's followed up to go to, to look at whether it has anything to do with the change of fat in the diet. So this is what happens if you replace saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat and presumably, you know, bring down lipids where they claim to anyway, um, in a population without improving the overall diet. It seems to be disastrous. I mean, there could be other causes from this, but really everywhere in the world where this has been done, there has been this massive increase in diabetes and um, an, an increase in cardiovascular disease as a cause of death as, as a result. I think it's always worthwhile thinking about what is the best evidence to answer a particular epidemiological question, and, and the best evidence is really trials. So I think that's where the argument and the focus should be, and my reading of them is that they've been disappointing in terms of uh, improving health from reducing saturated fat. So there are some really good thought exercises involved in that. You know, what are we actually looking at? Are we using the best evidence to answer a particular problem? Are we looking at evidence that confounds itself because it's looking at a range of things, not just one simple intervention? And when we see simple shifts trying to be applied from a public health perspective, are they always consistent with that evidence that people are using to support the contention that say, a reduction in saturated fat on a population level leads to these really positive outcomes. I think it's really unclear. Now, another thing that's really confusing for a lot of people is why do studies often show effects of saturated fat on cardiovascular events, but not cardiovascular disease or all-cause mortality? Well, this is an easy one. If we're talking about intervention studies, all the kind of um, low saturated fat and low fat diet studies that are in the Hooper analysis and so on, where people go, well, the actual experiments prove that blah, blah, you reduce cardiovascular events, this is worth doing. It's really simple because CBD and all-cause mortality in particular, very easy to diagnose correctly, and they can stay blinded. So these are double-blind experiments, or they're meant to be. So the doctors who write the death certificates aren't supposed to know what diet someone was on, because if they do, you know, they could, it could be biased by that. So if we assume these experiments are blinded, then what's the difference between these outcomes? Well, if you're diagnosing someone for a stent or you're diagnosing angina, which are cardiovascular events, you use the lipids as a diagnostic. If someone has high LDL, you are more likely to diagnose them with angina. You're more likely to say that their chest pains are due to angina because that's what it says in the protocols for diagnosing these conditions. So there's unblinding going on. When someone dies, the doctor isn't necessarily going to look at the lipids and, 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 and saying, yeah, this person definitely died because they had high LDL. But if someone reports with angina, the doctor is going to look at the lipids and they're more likely to make the call that this is in fact a cardiovascular disease if they see high LDL there. So there's this unblinding. If you look at the Hooper studies and you look at what the diagnostic criteria are and whether they include cholesterol as a, as part of the thing that helps the doctor make their mind up as to what they're seeing, then you can see that it, um, 
these are the outcomes that tend to be affected in these studies and not the ones where all you have to do is take someone's pulse. Well, I've shown in a reanalysis of a major meta-analysis that there's a lot of heterogeneity, that means variation uh, in the effects of the saturated fat trials for CVD events. And if you analyze that data another way, basically just taking a, a weighted average and adjusting uh, for the confidence intervals uh, in a different way to the standard, then you get uh, no benefit. Um, so what we're arguing for here is either a very small effect or no effect. And I've shown that you use an alternative method than the standard, you get no effect rather than a small effect. So I think George makes a really good point that cardiovascular events are a more washy endpoint than hard endpoints like mortality. And when we consider that in Simon's reanalysis of the Hooper meta-analysis, there was no effect found, we need to consider that if using different statistical techniques that properly weight the effect of the studies show no effect, and the effect that can be shown is very small in other analysis, then it probably shows that there's not that much going on. And that we all understand that within those studies, even in trials, but particularly in the epidemiological research, there's likely to be a lot of other conflicting and confounding influences that affect this which is why I typically go back to the standpoint that while I'm not saying that saturated fat is innocuous per se, what I am saying is that in the context of an otherwise healthy diet and lifestyle, it's certainly not a nutrient of concern. So I wanted to get a better handle on from both George and Simon, if they had an opinion on what the, the health threshold for saturated fat intake should be you know, as a percentage of someone's daily calories or total energy intake. Should people, in other words, keep saturated fat under 10%, as a lot of people suggest, or perhaps 16%, as is indicated by earlier research than the Hooper analysis? Personally, I don't believe there should be a threshold for uh, limiting saturated fat. I, I don't see it as something that's particularly harmful. Um, it really depends. Um how much carbohydrate you're eating you know if you've got a very high carbohydrate diet um you probably want to keep um saturated fat somewhere between 10 and 16 percent it's somewhere in that ballpark you know it's not necessarily under 10 but you don't really want the saturated fat to interact because you know when you eat a high carbohydrate diet your body's going to make plenty of saturated fat in a way like that's the elephant in the room is that carbohydrate turns into fat and it turns into saturated fat more than the more than the fat in your diet is likely to be made up of saturated fat so you've got to take that into consideration but if you're not eating a high amount of carbohydrate if you're eating a low enough amount of carbohydrate that you're burning fat you have to worry less about eating too much saturated fat, and you also have to worry less about eating too much polyunsaturated fat because that's going to be burned for fuel too before it can interact with you with your cells. Um, and so, you know, like burning fat gives you some protection against the metabolic effects of the fat. Um, but 
So, so this is a kind of it depends thing, and it also depends on the medium chain fat. So, if you are eating, say, you know, like people living in the Pacific Islands can have 60% of their calories coming from coconuts, and they're perfectly healthy. They have lower rates of cardiovascular disease than you know a normal and higher carbohydrate societies in the West. So, obviously, you know that doesn't seem to be a bad fat. So, um, it depends. I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually state a health threshold for this. I'd, I'd say if you're eating whole foods and you're cooking your food and, you know, some fat and you're, you know, then it just only matters whether you're burning it or not. You know, the really important thing is whether you're burning fat or not. And you could do that by exercising. You know, you, if, you're a, and if you're an athlete, you don't necessarily have to restrict carbohydrates if you have, you know, other ways of kind of keeping yourself in a fat-burning state. But, um, but, yeah, I think you have to take that interaction into account. So in summary, in your opinion, is saturated fat healthy, harmful, or neutral? Well, I think uh, there's a lot of questions over saturated fat, but my reading of the evidence is there's no particular need to replace one fat for another. Obviously, we need there's certainly uh, a need for essential fatty acids in the diet. Um, but uh, in terms of the overall trial evidence, there's not convincing evidence that replacing saturated fat uh, improves our, our cardiovascular outlook. So I'm kind of neutral about it. Well, I'm going to go on at quite length about this, I'm not going to, because the other questions didn't really allow me to um, to say this, but if we want to look at healthy effects of saturated fat, there are quite a few of them, and we have to take this into account if we are going to look at the risks. So the health benefits of saturated fat are, first of all, that it protects against alcoholic liver disease. Alcoholic liver disease in animals is very hard to generate unless you have a decent amount of polyunsaturated fat in the diet. So beef fat protects against alcoholic liver disease over and over again. And it also protects against the liver toxic effects of drugs like paracetamol, acetaminophen. And that's quite an important thing, you know, and also seems to be protective in in the case of COVID and pancreatitis where the um, uh, breakdown products of polyunsaturated fats are part of the pathway by which organs get damaged. So you have that health benefit of saturated fat just as a class. That includes all the saturated fats, just because they are more stable and they don't break down to the um, leukotoxins that polyunsaturated fats do. And then we have another health effect of saturated fat, which is that it boosts omega-3 levels if it's eaten with omega-3, whereas monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats tend to decrease omega-3 levels. And I'm talking about EPA and DHA. And if we think that it's beneficial having a higher level of EPA and DHA in your blood, which I think is pretty well, um, you know, pretty well accepted, then there are a number of experiments, including about four or five in humans of different ages, which show that combining fish oil or even canola oil with butter and chocolate produces double the omega-3 level in the blood, that the EPA and DHA level in the blood, than you would get if you combine these with um, 
other fatty, you know, you know with, with the um, more more unsaturated fats. And this is seen in animals as well. You can show it in rats, you can show it in chickens, you know, and it's used to get more omega-3 into eggs. And it's used to get more omega-3 into salmon. When they're farming salmon, they put a bit of saturated fat in the diet because that means they have to feed the salmon less fish oil. It makes it easier to get a high omega-3 level in salmon if they are fed saturated fat. And don't we want this, <laughs> you know? So, and, and a really interesting thing here is that with the rats, um, if you, which is the only animal this has been tested, and if you feed them very high amounts of alpha-linolenic acid, ALA, the root you know, source of DHA and EPA, that will depress the levels of EPA and DHA too. That competes with it. So really you want this diet, which is relatively high in saturated fat, but also contains fish oil or even canola, if that's all you can afford. And then you'll get this omega, you know, then you are more likely to get this kind of a beneficial omega-3 picture. And the other health benefit is one I've already talked about, which is, um, oh, I'm going to add another two, but the one that um, I've already talked about is that the medium chain fatty acids, right up to maristic acid, I think, tend to um, protect you against um, protect, protect you against um, insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and so forth, if you consume excess energy. And, um, and the other one is, this is a really interesting one, is that amniotic fluid is quite high in saturated fat, especially maristic acid. And um, breast milk kind of mimics this fatty acid blend. And they found that if you give a fatty acid blend similar to um, dairy fat to rats, when they're doing a maze where they would normally be anxious, they become less anxious. And it has a similar effect to Valium. It's as potent as Valium feeding them this fat that contains maristic acid. And, you know, this is an anti-anxiety effect of um, fats that are like dairy fat. And probably, um, you know, there's maristic acid in coconut oil as well. So I think anyone who suffers from anxiety should try and up those particular saturated fats in their diet. The, um, the sort of the medium chain fat maristic acid, especially, is a small effect of lauric acid, but it's really maristic acid. So either dairy or coconut, if you suffer from anxiety, is worth trying because in the rats, it's as potent as Valium. So there's a number of health benefits, and these relate to, you know, causes of death, you know, like, um, I mean, you know, anxiety and low omega-3 levels are associated with higher suicide risk, for example. So, you know, um, so these are, and and the um, the drug effects like the, the alcoholic liver disease and the, um, and, and the acetaminophen poisoning, these are all causes of death that, that can be um, prevented or limited with, with more saturated fat rather than less in the diet. And there's also, I'm going to go into another one, there's also sunburn. Like people don't sunburn as easily when they stop eating seed oils. And this is borne out by animal experiments where um, it's harder to cause skin damage and cancer and sort of the, the early stages of cancer in animals, you know, like, um, you know, bald animals that are being fed butter as a, or fish oil, as opposed to animals that are being fed, say, corn oil or soy oil or whatever. So seed oils increase the risk from UV radiation as well. And, you know, would this apply to atomic radiation? Quite possibly, because it's all the same sort of stuff. We're all talking about high um, oxidative stress generators, you know, um, things that um, 
um, you know, sort of break up molecules, create free radicals in the body. And um, and so if saturated fat is protective against those things, I think it's important to find out how to get those benefits, how to get those benefits in the human diet and stop just looking at risk, you know. Like I've just given you a, a list of what I think are quite significant health benefits. And if there is a risk, then we need to work out how to get those benefits without the risk. And I think limiting carbohydrates is one way to do it, but it doesn't have to be the only way to do it. But it seems, you know, it, it seems like one obvious way. But um, but you know, there's a there's a quite a bit of stuff there to look for. And I think you know, we when we take saturated fat out of the diet because we're worried about it, we throw out a lot of babies with the bathwater, potentially. So um, that's the sort I want to leave you with is how. There are benefits. There are clear mechanistic benefits in experimental studies. So how do we get those benefits and avoid the risks? Thank you. Thanks, team. You've given us some really interesting points and a different perspective on saturated fat. I'm sure people will have a lot to think about, and I'm sure there'll be some discussion and some questions that come from this. And I would love to hear those questions. We can feed those back to George and Simon for some answers. Now, George and Simon, do you have anything finally to say in conclusion? I think we've seen um, evidence for publication bias uh, in, with regard to saturated fat. So that is that um, generally the scientific community over the last 20, 30 years has been supportive of the saturated fat hypothesis. And so they've tended to publish studies that support the hypothesis and not to publish studies that negate the hypothesis. Thanks, Simon. That's a really good point. And one other thing that I'd add in there is uh, we often see, because of the perception that saturated fat was, and some people still think is, a key nutrient of concern for cardiovascular disease in particular, that that is limited in interventions so when people see their doctor for example and they have high cholesterol or high ldl they often recommend that the person will reduce saturated fat but that comes along with other recommendations as well now when we see people who are actually following those recommendations they tend to be those who are more committed to their health more likely to to do things um, and more likely to combine those health behaviors. So reduce saturated fat, sure, but they also tend to be, when we look at the research, and this is particularly true in research around red meat, they tend to be the people who also exercise more or take up exercise, drink less alcohol, smoke less, eat less ultra-refined, hyperpalatable food, and have other positive health behaviors. Whereas those who eat higher intakes of red meat and saturated fat typically have poorer health behaviors. Now, we need to ask, is that because the saturated fat is, or are the outcomes because the saturated fat or red meat, in this example, are causing the problem? Or is it that it is a combined milieu of things? Is it because it's that combination of factors and the fact that the people who are doing that are doing that to some degree because they're not committed to their health. So they haven't decided to take up the intervention of reducing saturated fat, but also all of those other interventions. Now, I understand that people will try and correct for those as well. Researchers will try and correct for those confounding influences, but that's not always as easily done as people think. And when we're seeing extremely skinny odds or risk ratios, and there's been a lot of correction, 
are we really seeing something there or not? And I'm not 100% sure of that. Thank you, Cliff, for this opportunity to speak on a subject dear to my heart. And um, I'd just like to end with um, a quote from Julia Child. If you're afraid of butter, eat cream. Thanks, George, for that unexpected but very appreciated quote from Julia Childs. And thanks to Simon and George for giving their unique perspectives on saturated fat that are a little bit different to the mainstream scientific narrative. I think you'll all agree that we need more of this type of free and open discussion. So thanks for tuning in. If you have any questions for us or for Simon and George, please feed those back to us and we can do a follow-up. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to the Holistic Performance Podcast. To find out how to study to become a registered health coach, accredited sports nutritionist, or registered clinical nutritionist, go to holisticperformance.institute.